24, and uh, we'll start with this today. Um, Let's pray and then let's dig in. Father, we just ask for your word to come alive. Would you give us revelation and instruction? Would you lead us and guide us? And then, Lord, give us the grace to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a gentleman named Charles Duell. Charles Duell, he was the commissioner of the U.S. Office of Patents in 1899, right? 1899, over 100 years ago. He is famous for having said these words. This is a quote from him. Everything that can be invented has been invented. 1899. Everything that can be invented has been invented. In 1927, H.M. Warner of Warner Brothers fame argued that there was no need to add sound to movies. Who the heck wants to hear actors talk, he exclaimed. I don't know, he might have been right. Actors talk a lot these days. In 1962, Decca Records turned down the signing of the Beatles saying, we don't like their sound, the guitar groups are on the way out. <laughs> on the way out, yeah. Uh, Ronald Wayne sold his 10% share of a small upstart company called Apple. He sold it a few months in for $2,300. If he would have kept it, he'd be worth $75 billion today. Oh, doesn't that hurt? It's like $75 billion or a double wide in Nevada, <laughs> which is where he's living. <laughs> oh, oh, it's so sad. I read the whole story. It's, it is really like this sad idea, but it, but it crystallizes for us how easy it is to be like small-minded, how easy it is for us to like get tunnel vision, to be myopic to just see life through this very narrow lens. It happens to so many of us. And, and let's be honest, it's easier to be the skeptic. It's, it's actually cooler. It's cooler to be the cynic, right? It's, a, it's easier to be the doubter. You don't have to take the risk. You don't have to put yourself out there. <laughs> and I, what, I, what we've been talking about with impossible God is being willing to put yourself out there with him. To embrace what is impossible. To, to conceive of the fact that what you think is impossible is actually possible with God. Here's how the Apostle Paul kind of described what he believed you know, as, we, as we've been talking about resurrection life and as we've been talking about these impossible ideas, 1 Corinthians 15, three through six, it's in your message notes. It says, I passed on to you what the, was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died, he says. Verse 7, then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Paul was describing how he saw him on the road to Damascus. 
He was traveling there to persecute Christians, to take them and throw them in jail because of what he believed. And Jesus introduced himself to him, knocking him to the ground and revealing himself who he was. And so Paul says, I too have seen him. But what Paul is doing here is he's talking about giving facts and data to the resurrection. Listen, listen, okay? Historians agree. All historians agree that this letter, the, the letter to the Corinthian church was written somewhere around five to 15 years after the death of Jesus, right? So it was close. It wasn't many, many years later. It was, it was a few years later, and, and Paul says 500 people saw Jesus in one setting, and most of them were still alive to be consulted for corroboration. They could still be looked up. Paul's letter was written to the church to be read aloud, and therefore it was a public document, right? It, it was to be passed around, and people were to talk about this. Paul was inviting anyone who doubted to go talk to the eyewitnesses, the actual eyewitnesses who were still alive. The Pax Romana, the, the peace of Rome, the Rome that built all the roads, it made it easy. You could go and look this up. Paul's letters show us that Christians proclaim Jesus' bodily resurrection from the very beginning. You know, many, many of the skeptics will say, well, all the writings of the disciples, it's just propaganda to try to convince people of the divinity of Jesus. No, the tomb must have been empty. No one in Jerusalem would have believed any of their preaching for one minute if the tomb was not empty. Paul could not be telling people in a public document that there were scores of eyewitnesses if it were not true. The gospel accounts were not just, it wasn't just propaganda, it was actual stories of people who came face to face with Jesus and it messed up their world. Now some people say, they'll say things like, you know, maybe this doesn't prove anything. Maybe, maybe his followers stole the body and then, and then some people said they saw him and then they kind of, everybody just went along with it for a good cause, right? Jesus was doing good stuff. You know, these people are nice. No, C.S. Lewis has a, has a word for this. It's chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery is when you think that you're really advanced, but you look back at the ancient people, people who came before us, and we think, oh, they just accepted everything that was given to them. They were just super, they were spiritual people more than us, and, and they just accepted what was said. No, it's not true. Every world worldview, every dominant worldview, historians agree that resurrection was not a thing. Individual resurrection especially was just not possible. Right? So how do you explain the great advance of God's people over the next 200 years? It's not enough just to say, oh, this was propaganda. You gotta explain what happened, how people's lives over and over again were being changed and how they went from pers a persecuted little Jewish sect to this worldwide faith where people were following Jesus. This is incredible. What happened was what they thought was impossible had become possible. And it motivated them. It drove them. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying check your brains at the door and just, you know, go for it. No study. No, you need to study. We are not called 
to just be full of emotionalism. We're called to be full of study and reason, but we have encountered a God that is the God of the impossible. And I just, I feel like sometimes we're like, we just kind of come to church and we kind of go through it. You know, like Marty, he, he pulled back the curtain this morning in worship and he just like, here it is. <laughs> here it is. Right? This is, there's some, there's got to be something deeper than just showing up at church, maybe doing something good every once in a while. There's got to be something more that drives you and me. There's got to be a deep conviction of something that's happened, that, that does happen, that we've seen happen to people. You ever seen anybody win the lottery? You ever, see, you ever seen, like, they come with this giant check to the door, and they come up to the door, and what do people do? They open the door, and they go, oh, that's so nice. Thank you. No, they don't do that. They go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And they call all their friends and they film them with the camera and they're just crying. It's like they won the lottery. Listen, you've won the lottery. It's full of resurrection life. Oh, that's nice. Thanks, Pastor Ross. I'm going to make a note of that right now in my message notes. See, I want you to consider what it takes to move towards the impossible. What does it take? How does it work? Luke 24, we're going to read the story. Get your Bibles out. If you're using your Bible on a device, turn your device on. Follow us, follow together as we read. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. It says, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there, puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. I, I think this happens for us. Have you ever been puzzled? Puzzled? You're just like, hmm. So they're standing there being puzzled. I was puzzled this week. My air conditioner blew up. <laughs> My son came running in. Dad, some huge bang happened in the yard and it kind of went up in smoke and I was stood there puzzled. <laughs> I don't know how to fix this. These women were standing there puzzled. They came to the, to the tomb and they're puzzled and then suddenly two men stand there before them and the men the, the, verse 5 says, the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. These men were there in dazzling robes, and, and they, the men asked them, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and crucified, that he would rise again on the third day? I love this verse. Verse eight, then they remembered. <laughs> I think one of the greatest challenges of being a Christian is remembering what God said. Oh yeah, he said he would never leave or forsake me. I forgot. Oh, he said he would provide for my every need. Maybe not for my every want, but my every need. I forgot. <laughs> See, they'd forgotten what he said because Jesus had told them over and over again, here's, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be delivered to the religious leaders and then they're going to 
They're going to take me to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to stay in the grave three days, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. He told them several times. But the reason they couldn't remember is it didn't seem reasonable. They thought Jesus was talking in some kind of lingo that they didn't quite understand. Have you ever felt like that? Like I have teenagers and 20-somethings. I am not hip to their lingo. Okay, never mind. <laughs> then they remembered what, had, what he had said, that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look, stooping. He peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, I love this line, wondering what happened. Peter had a little sliver of hope, like maybe I'm going to run to the tomb and see it for myself. The thing I want you to write down today is there's all, when you're trying to move towards the impossible with God, there's always a reveal. There's a moment when something is revealed and sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's challenging, sometimes it is a struggle. There's a reveal for the disciples, it was Jesus' death. This was incredibly disappointing. But there's a reveal and Jesus has spoken his words to us and he wants us to remember them. He wants us to grab a hold of them. We conveniently sort of forget in the midst of the crisis and the, the wayward child, the sickness, the marriage on the rocks. We, we forget that what Jesus has said and how it can change our lives. He conquered death and there's no need to fear it. That's what he's told them, but they forgot. It's only when our world is falling apart that we need to grab a hold of the words of Jesus. But here's what resurrection life was doing at that moment. It was breaking through barriers. Resurrection life breaks through impossible barriers. Impossible barriers. It was a barrier of their mind. They were breaking through barriers of their own ways of thinking, but it was also breaking through barriers of culture. I want you to see this. The women were the first ones to witness the resurrection. Women were not respected in this culture. In fact, their word was not even admissible in court in these days. God chooses women to first be the eyewitnesses, the very first ones. Why did he do it? He was breaking through the cultural barrier of their day. He was breaking through this gender barrier, and he was elevating women. He was elevating everyone who was an outcast and marginalized in society. He was elevating people by touching the leper. He was elevating, he was dignifying, he was saying all are welcome in my family, in my community. So their they were the first eyewitnesses and Jesus is breaking through a barrier by making them the first. Now let's think about this. There must have been tremendous pressure on the, the disciples the writers of the gospel, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the writers of the gospels must have been immense pressure to leave this one detail out. It would have been so hard to leave it in, but they, they had to leave it in. You know why? Because the story was well known already. It was, it was actually true. The power of the resurrection breaks barriers in culture. And listen, you and I are called to break barriers in our culture. 
We're called to reach across the aisle. We're, crawl, we're called to reach past our own comfort and our own um, um, realms of influence and go into areas of influence where we might feel uncomfortable, where, where it's a zone that, that we, oh, I just don't know. I don't really know if I can speak this language. Look, it is our job with a resurrection life to speak into people's lives and to tell them that they're worthy of God's love and God's grace, and we include them in our community. It doesn't matter who it is, the poor, the marginalized, the people we don't agree with politically, we are called as Christians to break through those barriers. Colossians 2.14 says, when you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it, all sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. In, the in, in the, another English translation, this phrase is, he triumphed over them by the cross. Tri that word triumph has this picture in it, and that's what Eugene Peterson, who is the writer of the Message Bible, is saying here in your notes. He's saying when a, when a conqueror conquers a people, a victor, he marches through the streets with all of his conquered people, the king, the people in charge, the leaders of that conquered people. He marches them through the streets and drags them through naked, embarrassed, ashamed to show that they have no more power. What Paul is saying is when you come to Christ, when you receive resurrection life, all of the spiritual tyrants of the universe no longer have power over you. But you don't think like this. Oh man, this habit's so hard to give up. Oh. Listen, and, and listen, addictions are, are awful, terrible things. They, they get in us patterns of living and thinking, and they are challenging to work through. But here's what you've got to believe. If you're going to move towards the impossible, you have to believe that God himself has the solution for you and that he can deliver you from any addiction, any failure, anything that you're being lied to by the spiritual tyrants of this universe and their sham authority. Jesus has all authority and resurrection life proves it. Resurrection life carries the DNA of infinite possibilities. You gotta get in touch with those possibilities. Romans 8.11 says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Resurrection life is greater than your past. Resurrection life is greater than your failures. Resurrection life conquers hatred. Resurrection life conquers poverty, addiction, sin, and death. Resurrection life equals unlimited possibilities. I don't need you to yell, but I, but I do want you to like, get it. <gasps> Unlimited possibilities. Could it be true? Like these disciples, could it be true that God could do something in my heart, in my mind, in my life that is, that I thought was impossible? That leads us to number two, because after there's a reveal, there's always a 
realization. There's always like a, oh my gosh, here it is. Look at in verse 13 uh, of 24. It says, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. See, Jesus, hey, Jesus had this resurrected body so he could do all kinds of things that you and I in our physical bodies until we get our resurrected bodies, we can't do. So Jesus comes and somehow he cloaks, he cloaks himself. But he's talking to them, he's interacting with them, he's just walking with them. And so look, look what he does here. Verse 16, but God kept them from recognizing. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. I love this. Look at this, look at this line, 19. What things? What things, Jesus asked? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people, but our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. This verse Gives a, lets us peer into their hearts as, he sa- as they say, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. We had hoped. Every one of us has some hope, have some hopes that are out there. And then at some point we think it's impossible. We can't, we'll never reach it. It's too late for me. I can't, I can't, accomplish this thing. I can't, I can't get to where I thought God wanted me to be. All these hopes that live in us and somehow they, they die at certain moments in our lives or we go through a, a struggle, we go through a moment and then there's this realization. Watch what happens to these guys. Verse 22, then some women from our group, they said, of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women had said. (laughs) Look at what Jesus responds, verse 25. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. This is pastoral Jesus. He says, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scripture? Man, I think this happens to us. We find it so hard to believe what's been written in the scripture. It says, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from the scriptures the things concerning himself. Hey, you know what? The reason that we are reading through the scripture in 2017 The reason that we're trying to get everybody on the Read Scripture app is because we gotta get Jesus' words, God's words into us so that we can remember them, so that we can have God explain them to us as we come face to face with him. Look what happens in verse 28. By this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey and Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting so late. So he went home with them, and as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it, and then he broke it and gave it to them. And they started thinking, wait a minute, I've seen this before. This seems really familiar to me. Verse 31, suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and at that moment, he disappeared. (laughs) 
Jesus, Jesus is doing something here. He acts as if he's going on. Why do you think he does that? Because God is always going to see if you will ask him to come. You're thinking to yourself, well, why would he do that? Here's why. Because Jesus will never force you to do anything. God doesn't force you in any way to serve him, to love him, to have faith. He, there's no forcing. Christianity does not believe in forced religion. Christianity doesn't even equate with it. It is a faith by permission only. It is a relationship in every way. It is a voluntary, voluntary surrender to God. There is no forcefulness, and so God will set up scenarios to see if you'll invite him in. Things will happen in your life where there will come a moment, will you invite him to come with you? Will you invite him to sit with you? Will you invite him to commune with you because you're really discouraged, because you're really having a hard time? Will you turn to him and invite him to be part of your life? That's what's happening to these two guys on this road. And Jesus sits with them and he, oh, he breaks bread with them and he shares it with them in this incredible moment and then he disappears and there is a realization. Like, like somehow the reveal had happened and the, the tomb is empty but these guys are still like, can't figure it out. Here's what I want you to realize. Is resurrection life has already happened. You just might not realize it yet. These guys, they're walking on the, they're, they're kicking rocks on this road, seven miles down the road. They stop at Emmaus, they sit down for the night, and they're like, they're like really discouraged. Then Jesus disappears in front of them. They're like, look at what they say. Check this out. Verse 32, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? That was like them saying to each other, did you kind of feel something? I kind of knew. Did you know? I kind of knew. Verse 33, and within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. They, there they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He has appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking bread. We often don't recognize that Jesus is with us until we invite him until we sit down, until we stop our busy lives and commune with him. If you want resurrection life to flow through you if, you, want, if you want to move towards the impossible, you've got to invite Jesus into communion with you to stop your busyness and, and all the rushing around, all the, all the stuff you've got your hand on and, and be with him. Be with him. He will take you into the possibility that there's something more. Philippians 3.10, this is how Paul described it. He said, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Yes, there are hard things. So many of us want the resurrection without the death. But he says, I want to, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that the that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Listen, you and I have to empty ourselves of ourselves to be filled with resurrection life. It's the only way it works. There is no resurrection without a death. 
Let's go. And in a, in a way, like surrendering to Christ can be painful, right? It, it can feel like a death. It's death of control. It's death of being in charge of everything. It's the death of your will. It's, it's, it's the death of, of some things in, in, in your behaviors and things that you thought brought you pleasure. Yes, it can be painful, but there's this, there's this resurrection life, your empty life. God is waiting to fill it with his fullness, the fullness of God. Here's how he described it to Martha. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He said, you don't have to wait for the end. You don't have to wait for the day when Christ returns. He says, I am right now resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. So that leads us to the third m moment. When you're moving towards the impossible, there's a reveal, there's a realization like, oh my goodness, there's this, everything's changed. It's kind of like this. Do you remember do you remember that first time you knew you were going to get married? Like for me, I was like scared of it, scared of it, scared of it, scared of marriage, scared of marriage. And then there was a day when I surrendered to it. <sighs> I'm going to marry her. Am I alone here? Any other men? Any other romantics in the room? Three. Okay, good. Do you remember, do you remember the time? Do you, if, you're, if you're a parent, do you remember, do you remember what the first time you held your first child. It's like the world is gonna be different. And the, the flood of emotions and the flood of the picture in your mind, I was gonna, oh my goodness, everything's gonna change. And if you had twins, you knew you were in real trouble. This is what we're talking about. The, the day you knew you were gonna start the business, that dream that you'd had percolating in there for a while. There's a realization, okay, I'm giving in. We're going for it. I'm going to do it. This is happening right now. That's kind of what, what resurrection life is like. It's, it's coming to this moment of realization. Number three, we, what happens is reality begins to set in. Look at verse 36. <clears throat> so these two guys are just arriving back uh, from Emmaus, and they're saying how Jesus... Uh, revealed himself to them, and then he disappeared. Verse 36, and just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself suddenly standing there among them. Right. <laughs> suddenly he, he appears, peace be with you. <laughs> peace be with you, he says. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. So you can see still their mindset is so, like they're, they can't figure it out. He says, why are you frightened? he asked. And they said, because you keep scaring us. <laughs> but he's, no, verse 38 says, why are your hearts filled with doubt? Could I ask you today? Why is your heart filled with doubt? It's our human condition. Jesus is trying to move us. He's trying to help us move towards him, towards the impossible. He says, Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see it's really me. Touch me and make, make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet and still they stood there in disbelief but filled with joy and wonder. They're like, 
Like, what? What is really, this is real? You have to be kidding me. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. How weird is this? Do you, uh, do you got any fish around here? And they gave him a fish, and he's, and he's eating it, and they're just there. You can see him, like 12 of them. They're just like... <laughs> you know what was happening? The reality was setting in. Oh, my goodness. The reality that something different has happened than we've ever seen before. Verse 44, he says, then he, then he said, when I was with you before, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Oh, you should underline that verse. Sometimes when you're struggling, when you're walking through a moment of doubt and, and, and insecurity, you can ask Jesus to open your mind so you can understand the scriptures and he'll do it by the work of his spirit. Verse 46, he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. Oh, they were witnesses of all these things. Listen, resurrection life reorients our lives around a new miracle reality. Their own reality turned upside down. Peter's life and the life of his friends were being reoriented. Here's how Romans 8 says it in verse 12. It says, so don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? I'm reading from the Message Bible here. It says, there's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. That's what baptism is, people. That's what water baptism is going to be next week. A whole bunch of people will obey this scripture. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. The resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children, and we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. Do you know what they did? You know what the disciples who had gone to Emmaus, you know what they did when Jesus disappeared and they realized what was really happening? When the reality set on them, you know what they did? They ran seven miles back. You can look it up right there. They got up from the table and they went immediately back 14 miles in one day. Anything is possible. You could do 14 miles in one day. There's a thing here that they were, they were just so excited. They couldn't contain themselves. Resurrection life energizes us to do things we've never done before. This is what happened to Peter in Acts 2. This is what happened to all the disciples Here's what he said in 1 Peter 1, 3. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look, you and I, I know, I know. I've, I'm just like you. I stand up here and rant and rave, and this is profound, and there's a re new reality I want you to grab a hold of, but I struggle just like you. But if you can wrap your head around the fact that you're moving from death to life, 
If you can wrap your mind around the fact that you're moving from darkness to light, if you can move toward, from failure to freedom, see, this is what God wants for you and for me. Close your eyes, bow your head, let's pray, and we're gonna come to the Lord's table. And we're gonna come to this table because it is the place of freedom. It is the place where you come to have a new reality, to see life differently. The table of the Lord represents Christ's body. The bread symbolizes his, his body broken for us. The cup represents his blood that was spilled for the forgiveness of sins and I want you to come to this table this morning and I want you to let the Lord speak to you. Would, you. would you come and be willing to exchange your reality for his? Would you Would you come and would you be willing, would you be ready to say, okay, I've been living in, in my own realm. I've been living in a myopic point of view and I want, I want to believe I want, to, I want to surrender my life. I want you to do it thoughtfully. I don't want you to do it emotionally. I want you to do it with this process where you're, where you're moving from where you are to where God wants you to be. But, but let the journey start at this table. You know, we only have each day, each day, we kind of start again. Okay, God, I'm going to move towards you. And maybe this is that day for you. And as you come, I would like you to exchange your life for his. His is much better. So, Father, we just welcome you into our hearts as you, as you want to speak to us. We're listening. As you want to take things from us, we are yielded and open. We have our hands open to you and we say, yes, Lord, come. Move us closer to what we think is impossible, but with you, we realize all things are possible. Move us from our failures to freedom today. Move us from darkness to light. Move us closer to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're gonna practice